This episode of Food Psych is brought to you by my new book, The Wellness Trap. Break free from diet culture, disinformation, and dubious diagnoses and find your true well-being, which comes out next week and is available for pre-order now. Just go to christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap to learn more and pre-order it for its April 25th release. That's christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap. Welcome to Food Psych, a podcast dedicated to critiquing diet and wellness culture and answering your questions about intuitive eating and the anti-diet approach. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, journalist, and author of the books Anti-Diet, which is available now wherever books are sold, and The Wellness Trap, which will be out next week on April 25th of 2023. And by the way, on this show, I avoid saying diet culture stuff like weight and calorie numbers, but we don't censor swear words or other adult language, so listener discretion is advised. Hey there, welcome to this episode of Food Psych. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and today I'm going to be answering an audience question about the wellness culture trend of monitoring every bodily function and whether it's really compatible with intuitive eating. And before I answer, a few quick announcements. This is actually the second to last episode of Food Psych, and it's a really bittersweet moment for me because I'm sad to be wrapping up this podcast after doing it for more than 10 years. I'm so grateful to you for listening, especially those who've been listening since the beginning. And it's really the end of an era, so I just wanted to mark that in some way. But I'm also really excited about my new and upcoming projects, including my new podcast, Rethinking Wellness, which launched last month and which you've heard a few episodes of in this feed already. So next week, you'll hear another one where I'm actually in the guest seat being interviewed about my new book, The Wellness Trap. And after that, I'll be focusing all my podcasting energy on the news show. So I'd love it if you came and joined me there. You can just search for Rethinking Wellness wherever you listen to podcasts and hit follow or subscribe or whatever they say in your podcast provider. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well so you can easily subscribe on your device. And then you can also subscribe to it as a newsletter to get new episodes in your inbox every other week. You get the audio and a transcript of the episode. Um, if you go to rethinkingwellness.substack.com, you can sign up for that. For support in making peace with food and breaking free from diet and wellness culture, I'm still doing my online course, Intuitive Eating Fundamentals, and I'd love for you to check that out. You can learn more and sign up at christyharrison.com slash course. That's christyharrison.com slash course. And again, that's the best way to sort of continue this support specifically around healing from diet and wellness culture and learning intuitive eating. I'm also going to keep answering questions over on the Food Psych Weekly newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, you can do it at christyharrison.com slash newsletter. And I may also be doing some occasional Q&As for paid subscribers to the new podcast. So you can learn more about that and see the paid subscription levels at rethinkingwellness.substack.com slash subscribe. So again, it's the end of an era with this podcast, but also the beginning of some really cool new stuff. And I hope you'll come along for the ride. 
Speaking of cool new things, we haven't even talked yet really about my new book, The Wellness Trap, which will be available next week. It's coming out next week if you're listening to this the week it comes out. And it's still available for pre-order between now and then. So I would love it if you pre-ordered. The book explores the connections between diet culture and wellness culture, how the wellness space became overrun with scams, misinformation, and conspiracy theories, why many popular diagnoses in the alternative and integrative and functional medicine space are misleading and harmful, and what we can do instead to create a society that promotes true well-being. Just go to christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap to learn more and pre-order the book to get it next week when it comes out. And once you've pre-ordered, you can also get a special bonus Q&A with me about the book by uploading your proof of purchase at christyharrison.com slash book bonus. Now, without any further ado, let's get into this week's question. It's from Christine, who writes, Hi, Christy. I'm new to your work and incredibly grateful to have found you. The latest and last wellness diet, which through your book I've come to realize was such that I participated in, was marketed as quote-unquote pro-metabolic. While I found freedom in learning that I was not eating enough, the process required a lot of surveillance of foods and ingredients, but also of my body, including monitoring temperature, pulse, stool, skin, menstrual cycle, energy, etc., etc. And this was framed as a way of connecting with my body. I don't really know if doing this is listening to my body or actually just a mechanism of orthorexia and diet culture. I would appreciate your thoughts on this topic. Thank you for helping me initiate a journey towards true body peace. So thanks, Christine, for that great question and your kind words. And before I answer, I'll just give my standard disclaimer that these answers and this podcast in general are for informational and educational purposes only, aren't a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice, and don't constitute a provider-patient relationship. Also, this is just my take as one dietitian and journalist, and I hope you'll seek out other perspectives and consult your own inner compass as well. So first of all, I'm so glad you've found my work helpful in recognizing and moving away from wellness diet culture because it really is everywhere. So I think learning to spot it and approach it with skepticism is a really useful skill to have. It's interesting that this diet helped you realize you weren't eating enough. And in that sense, it sounds like it wasn't all bad, right? And I think it can sometimes be helpful to recognize anything positive that diets did give you so that you can look for those things elsewhere without all the downsides that go along with diet and wellness culture. And the importance of eating enough is something that intuitive eating stresses too, and that's definitely a positive aspect of this diet that you can look for elsewhere. In fact, it sounds like this diet was trying to draw from intuitive eating or perhaps capitalize on its popularity in some ways by framing all the tracking as a way of supposedly getting in touch with your body. But one clue that this was not true intuitive eating is the word that you used, surveillance. I think that's a really powerful choice of words because it connotes suspicion and authoritarian oversight. And that sounds exactly like what was going on with this diet. You know, I think a lot of wellness diet culture surveillance is based on a lack of trust in your body and the notion that you need to closely monitor all these different bodily functions in order to be okay. This is something that has its roots in part in biohacking and other forms of what I call tech bro dieting, which I cover in my new book. But 
the reality is that your body can actually be trusted to take care of you without surveillance. And you can get in touch with your body without over-intellectualizing everything, without having to make it mediated by technology or mediated by surveillance. So in general, most systems in our bodies are really designed to work without much or any conscious awareness or input from us, unless there's a problem, right? And then even in those cases, you know, speaking as someone with multiple chronic illnesses myself and who's worked with many people with chronic illnesses, I think we'd benefit from a lot less surveillance and a lot more compassionate inquiry, less restriction, more gentleness, less obsession, and more relaxed awareness and curiosity. So you mentioned orthorexia, which is defined as an obsession with quote-unquote healthy eating, but I'm increasingly seeing it manifest as a fixation not just on food, but on other bodily systems too, and the perceived impact that food has on those systems. So the perceived impact of food on hormones, the perceived impact of food on gut health, et cetera. And in that sense, it sounds like this diet is very much a form of orthorexia in, you know, rooted firmly in wellness culture and diet culture and all of the shaming messages that come along with those systems of beliefs. Now, that's not to say that there are never times when tracking what you eat or maybe being aware of other aspects of your well-being can be beneficial, but I think it's important to consider the intention behind the tracking. We discuss this issue in episode 294, which deals with food journaling, because in some cases, early on in the intuitive eating process, food journaling may function as, you know, training wheels for some people to help you reconnect with your sense of hunger, your sense of fullness, your sense of satisfaction. But the goal is eventually to let go of the journaling and just to trust your own inner wisdom. And for people who are, you know, really triggered by the tracking, there's no reason to do it. If, you know, if it's causing more harm than good, then we just let it go. Um, But if you're tracking with the intent to shrink or reshape your body, that's definitely a clue that the tracking is rooted in diet culture and really not serving you. Now, with this diet that you're talking about, Christine, the term pro-metabolic to me is a dead giveaway that the tracking is very much driven by diet culture because I'm sure the underlying goal is to, quote unquote, speed up your metabolism so that you lose weight. And leaving aside the fact that this is extremely unlikely to be effective for many reasons we've talked about on this podcast before, it's also very liable to be harmful for anyone who's recovering from orthorexia or other forms of disordered eating. And, you know, Christine, from what you've said, you're in that boat of recovering from disordered eating and needing to make sure that you're not being triggered back into it. You know, the same thing is true about the potential harm of, of diets when it comes to diets that require you to track your blood sugar in the absence of diabetes, which are another wellness culture trend I'm seeing a lot these days. I don't know, Christine, if that was um, part of the tracking that you were doing for this diet or not, but I've seen a lot in wellness culture that, you know, people are using continuous glucose monitors in the absence of diabetes. And Although continuous glucose monitors have been a game changer for people with diabetes and really extremely helpful in that population, many of those people, people with diabetes who wear continuous glucose monitors, will tell you that they can't imagine why anyone would wear one if they didn't have to, because monitoring your blood sugar inevitably increases concern over what you're eating and can easily lead to obsession and disordered eating. A staggering percentage, 30 to 40% of young women with type 1 diabetes, have eating disorders. 
And that's driven in large part by the fact that they have to track and monitor their carbs and blood sugar so closely. So voluntarily taking on that kind of tracking and monitoring in the absence of diabetes is a huge risk, and there's not really a reward for it. There's not really a payoff in tracking your blood glucose like that. And you know, particularly for anyone who's already struggling in their relationship with food, it's just not helpful to be doing that in the absence, again, of diabetes when you, you know, more or less have to if you're, do, if you're dosing yourself for insulin. If you don't have that requirement, if you don't have that kind of chronic illness that's pushing you to use a continuous glucose monitor, then the risks and the, the negatives, the downsides of that far outweigh any benefit you could get from monitoring your blood sugar. And really in people who don't have diabetes or don't have blood sugar abnormalities, Monitoring your blood sugar and looking at the spikes and drops doesn't actually tell you anything useful about what's going on in your body. It's not, there's no standardized lab values to tell you what's normal and what's not in people who don't have diabetes. You know, we all have blood sugar that goes up and down throughout the day with hunger and fullness. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, Christine, I think your intuition is spot on in questioning whether tuning into your body really entails that kind of surveillance, whether it's of blood sugar or tracking your periods or tracking your temperature or heart rate or other things that you might be tracking. I'd argue that scrutinizing your every bodily function like that actually takes you away from listening to your body and responding to it, right? It makes you more likely to obsess about getting things quote unquote right than to respond to your internal signals with attunement and kindness. And it really takes you out of your body and into your head. It's intellectualizing these bodily functions that, for the most part, work just fine independently of any input from us. So, Christine, I hope that's helpful in unpacking the effects of this diet. And thanks again for the great question. That's it for our second to last episode of Food Psych. And this is the last Q&A episode we'll be running here. But I'm going to keep answering questions over on the Food Psych Weekly Newsletter, which you can sign up for at christyharrison.com newsletter. And I'll also be likely doing some occasional Q&As for paid subscribers on my new podcast, Rethinking Wellness. So you can subscribe to that at rethinkingwellness.substack.com, where you can subscribe for free or sign up for one of the paid subscriptions to get these occasional bonuses. If you want to submit your own question for a chance to have it answered in one of those places, go to christyharrison.com slash questions. Speaking of the new podcast, you can subscribe to that to get new interviews about how to break free from wellness and diet culture, how to avoid falling for misinformation about health and wellness, and lots more. Search for Rethinking Wellness with Christy Harrison wherever you're listening to this, or go to rethinkingwellness.substack.com to get it in your inbox. This episode was brought to you by my upcoming book, The Wellness Trap, Break Free from Diet Culture, Disinformation, and Dubious Diagnoses, and Find Your True Well-Being, which is available for pre-order now and will be out next week if you're listening to this the week it comes out. Just go to christyharrison.com slash thewellnesstrap to learn more and pre-order it now. That's christyharrison.com slash thewellnesstrap. And after you pre-order, you can sign up for a special bonus Q&A with me by submitting your proof of purchase at christyharrison.com slash bookbonus. Finally, if you're looking for help healing your own relationship with food, grab my free audio guide, Seven Simple Strategies for Finding Peace and Freedom with Food. Just go to christyharrison.com slash strategies to get it. That's christyharrison.com slash strategies. 
A big thanks, as always, to our editor and sound engineer, Mike Lalonde, community and content associate, Vinci Chue, and administrative assistant, Julianne Watasek, for helping me out with all the moving parts that go into producing this show every week. Our album art was photographed by Abby Moore Photography and designed by Melissa Alam. Our theme song was written and performed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. And I'm your host and producer, Christy Harrison. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, which will sadly be the last time on this podcast, stay psyched. Ooh.